the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, are koalas the new polar bears? Will new evidence sway the Senate in the impeachment trial? And can gender theory change the world? Or at least the way we see it. Welcome to the 180 cast. Hello, welcome back to the 180 cast. I am your host, Georgie Borman, and this is the podcast dedicated to exploring how people change their minds, which is a seemingly impossible thing to do in this day and age. We do have some stories to talk about. We are going to talk about impeachment again. It will be worth your time. We are going to talk about the Australian wildfires and, of course, gender theory, which is increasingly important and why I have been covering it consistently on this podcast mm, probably since the first time I started doing these breakdown sessions. In any case, please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Just click the little subscribe button and you will be notified every time I post a new episode. And uh, if you didn't get the memo last week, I am breaking up the breakdown sessions into two separate mini episodes. Um, I do the uh, news stories and the interview highlights today, Friday, and then on Tuesday, we will do messages on the flip phone and the woke of the week or another segment that I might rotate out with that and uh, discuss some pop culture and or debunk a little conventional wisdom. I do hope that that is working out for you. If you have feedback on it, please do not hesitate to reach out. And you can catch up with me on Twitter at 180cast. With that, let us get into the top stories. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I don't know what we're yelling about! It will top the list. As you may have heard on Wednesday, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi signed the resolution that would transmit the two articles of of impeachment to the Senate. The Senate is set to begin trial on Tuesday. If you don't recall, those articles of impeachment are Article 1, pertains to abuse of power and that Donald Trump allegedly sought to interfere in the 2020 elections by digging up dirt on potential rival Joe Biden's son. And then the second one is obstruction of Congress, which is um, pretty much a, a load of a load of baloney, because basically Congress is just complaining that they subpoenaed White House officials and the White House said, no, we're not going to comply with that subpoena and we're going to go to, to court over this which is essentially what happens every time somebody says that they don't want to comply with a subpoena. Because 
you're alleging uh, executive privilege in this case. And so you take it to the court and then the court mediates and says, okay, yes, you have to comply with this or no, you don't have to comply with this. That's just the way it happens with subpoenas. And yet, and yet this is the best that they could come up with at the time that they drafted the articles of impeachment. Now, I do, I do have some thoughts on uh, something Nancy Pelosi said in her little speech before she signed the resolution. Take a listen to this. As you know, on December 18th, the House of Representatives upheld its constitutional duty and voted articles of impeachment against the President of the United States, Donald Trump. He said in the course of the debate that he did not uphold his oath of office to protect, preserve, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Make it be very clear that this president will be held accountable, that no one is above the law, and uh, that no future president should ever entertain the idea that Article One, I mean, excuse me, Article Two, says that he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, you know, I I think that Nancy Pelosi really, when she was getting dressed for the day that morning on Wednesday when she signed that resolution, she was a uh, you know, pulling on her bright pink pantsuit and she turns over and she she just sighs and, and says to her intern who was probably responsible for the bright pink pantsuit because she forgot to do the dry cleaning for this solemn occasion. She says, you know, Penelope, it's just eating me up inside how much the Constitution has been trampled. I'm just, I'm just so torn up over how our Constitution has been treated and how this lawlessness has been allowed to continue, you know? And I'm just so glad that we're doing this for the Constitution of the United States of America. Please cue the tiny violin. So today, we will make history. When we walk down, when the managers walk down the hall, we'll cross a threshold in history. As we make that history, we will be making progress for the American people. Progress in support of our Constitution. Progress in honor of the sacrifice and the vision of our founders. Progress in honor of the sacrifice of our men and women in uniform. And progress for the future of our children. Look, I usually don't get into this whole let's play the hypocrisy game situation i do think that generally playing he said she said and uh look at what a hypocrite you are is is not always the most substantive and helpful conversation that we can have but it is worth pointing out it is it is definitely worth pointing out the fact that nancy pelosi presided over the house and passed one of the most lawless bills to ever come through congress and that was Obamacare. She passed Obamacare. And not only did she pass Obamacare, but she was very, very proud of it. She was positively beaming when that bill was signed. And she's going to stand there and lecture the American people about people being above the law and about protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States and setting an example for our children. Listen, 
Listen to what Nancy Pelosi said way back in 2009 when she was asked by a reporter whether or not the individual mandate for healthcare that requires individuals to buy insurance that was a signature part of the legislation, whether that was constitutional. Does the, uh, the Constitution grant Congress the authority to enact an individual health insurance mandate? Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious, Nancy Pelosi? Boy, see, this speaks to it's not just about hypocrisy in in itself. It speaks to her character and the character of other Democrats who have decided that this is the hill they're going to die on. They are going to die on the impeachment hill and to make a big show of it. And a big show about how Donald Trump is violating the Constitution, despite the fact that they can't point to anything specific within the Constitution that Donald Trump has violated. And uh, at least at the time they were drafting the articles, they couldn't point to any specific thing that he did that was illegal as far as any statutes or regulations are concerned. And yes, it speaks to the the character of uh, at least the leaders of the Democrat Party that They are able to stand there with a straight face and say that they really care about the Constitution. I mean, listen to what just I dug up this other this other little gem from 2009 because I I remembered this. This is Representative John Conyers and uh, what his opinion of the constitutionality of Obamacare was just to show you how much they deeply, deeply care about whether or not actions of the government are constitutional. What part of the Constitution do you think gives Congress the authority to mandate individuals to purchase health insurance? Uh, Under several clauses. Uh, The Good and Welfare Clause uh, and and a couple others. Boy, they sure know what they're talking about as far as uh, what's constitutional and what's not. Yep. I'm just saying, I don't think that any of us deserve a lecture from people who have not given two hoots about what's constitutional or not until it became politically expedient, at least as far as pleasing their base is concerned. But that does bring us to our our second point, uh, which I hinted at earlier, which is, is there any new evidence since these articles were drafted that might be something that you should pay attention to? Because you're probably thinking at this point, Georgie, this impeachment thing has been dragging on for months and months and months, and it's full of minutia, and it's hard to keep track of, and it doesn't really seem like President Donald Trump did anything that's worthy of removing him from office. And please, for the love of everything good in this country, tell me, do I have to pay attention any longer? Is there anything that I absolutely need to know to make up my mind about impeachment and is there anything that could possibly sway squishy senators in the uh trial to vote to oust president trump out of office and i will tell you there are two pieces of evidence that i submit for your consideration number one is that just last week the u.s government accountability office Uh, released a decision saying that they believe that uh, the Trump administration violated the law in withholding 
aid to Ukraine. They consistently suspended it over and over and sent notifications to the Pentagon saying, hey, the aid is is um, being held up. We're putting a quote unquote pause on the aid. And it, it was decided at least that withholding that obligation did violate the law. Now, does it carry any criminal charges? No. As far as what I've read, it doesn't carry any criminal charges. And it is just an initial decision. It, it has to move through a process in order for it to be, you know, made official. But it does seem that at least at this point, you do have evidence that the Trump administration did do something illegal with regard to withholding the aid. And the Pentagon was pretty mad about this. It was noted, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, it came out that the the letters between the OMB and the Pentagon were uh, finally unredacted because the Trump administration redacted them for no particular reason other than the fact that they were politically inconvenient. And uh, the Pentagon was very, very upset that the aid was being withheld and saying, hey, you can't put a pause on the aid. It's not just the fact that you this aid was already obligated by Congress to be given, that that money was appropriated for that purpose by Congress, but um, we can't fulfill... Like, we can't actually fulfill the things that we need to do with that aid if you put a pause on the funding. And so there was actual, like, substantive harm that was done by this decision by the president, um, allegedly, or by associates of the president, to uh, withhold aid in this pressure campaign against the Ukrainian government to uh, look into Hunter Biden and uh, potential corruption as far as he is concerned because it might negatively impact uh, Joe Biden, who is a contender for running against Donald Trump. Yeah, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that Love Parnas, who is an associate of Rudy Giuliani and who was apparently deeply involved based off of the, the documents, the text messages and voicemails and such that and emails that he released was deeply involved in this campaign to uh, get the Ukrainian government to at least announce that they were investigating uh, Burisma and the Bidens. Lev Parnas, you can say, well, you know, maybe the guy just wants attention. Like that's what Rudy Giuliani said. You can say maybe this guy isn't super trustworthy because, you know, he's being charged with campaign finance, finance violations and it's so on and so forth. But if you actually look at the documents he puts forth, they seem to support the idea pretty strongly that this was an actual thing that happened in the actual world, that the Ukrainian government was being um, pressured regarding these investigations and the aid, the aid, like it, it at least passes preponderance of the evidence that the uh, withholding of aid to Ukraine had something to do with that. So, was this a bad thing that happened? Yes. Does this speak to Donald Trump's character and Rudy Giuliani's character? Yes. Does it show that he uh, lacks judgment and is uh, and is easily? Uh, taken in by conspiracy theories, which is concerning for somebody who holds the highest office in the land? Yes. Is this something that you would remove a sitting president for? I would still argue no. 
especially considering the fact that we have an election coming up. We just need to go another, a little less than a year, and the American people can decide whether or not they want that kind of person in office. I mean, I, th- we've kind of always known that Donald Trump was like this. Like, he used to be a birther. He used to believe that um, President, uh, he used to believe that Barack Obama's birth certificate wasn't real and that he was born in Kenya, okay? Like, this is kind of all, it's like, I think, Ben, was it Ben Shapiro who, who said this? It's like, his theory is like, it's all baked into the cake. We, we already knew this stuff. The American people knew this stuff and knew that this was kind of probably something that was going to result out of the Trump administration. Like, this is not something, prudentially speaking, that, that Donald Trump should be removed for. And I'm not sure that I can say anything other than that with any honesty and with any clarity of thought because I'm I'm still kind of chewing on it. Like I have a high standard for character and there's a certain bar that I've always said that you have to meet in order for me to vote for you. And I think Trump has shown that it, like he doesn't meet that bar. But at the same time, there's this argument for the lesser of two evils. And honestly, I don't know. I think that there are some squishy senators like maybe Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski that could be persuaded by these pieces of evidence. The uh, the decision from the U.S. Government Accountability Office and these documents from Lev Parnas. But you know what? You decide for yourself. And if you have thoughts on it, you should definitely call me on the flip phone at 323-999-1802 and leave a voicemail. That would be lovely. And now we can move on to this this other story that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the bushfires in Australia really quick. Okay, according to NASA, this is from Business Insider, according to NASA, the smoke from the Australian wildfires had already traveled halfway around the planet by January 8th, and the agency expects the smoke to make a full circuit of the globe and then return to Australia. That is how massive these fires are. And as of last week, the fires have burned 25 million acres and claimed the lives of 27 people, destroyed 2,000 homes, and possibly a billion animals. This is a very big fire. It is very destructive and the the firefighting efforts have basically done absolutely nothing because there is no technology that is capable of keeping up with a fire that is burning with this intensity and at this pace now i'm going to say what the media what the uh, mainstream media is reluctant to say or just flat out refuses to say because you deserve to know and then i'm going to tell you how uh, this 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 might affect you or uh, what you should expect going forward with regard to the Australian bushfires. Okay. Of course, as you might expect, the media is putting this uh, at the feet of climate change. And pretty much every article I've run into has had something to say about climate change. If not half the article, then at least a footnote saying, read more about how climate change is causing the Australian wildfires. Okay, and I'm not being a blanket denier here or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, okay, let's talk about 
what the primary causes are, and then maybe we can talk about these other things that may have exacerbated or created conditions that indirectly may have led to a destructive situation such as this. The state of New South Wales, which has been worst hit by these bushfires, in that state alone, police have taken action, legal action, against 183 people for not complying with the burn ban or deliberate arson. That's 24 people for arson. And then another 47 people for disregarding lit cigarettes or matches. 40 were juveniles, interestingly enough. And one of them was a teen firefighter. So already we have what you should be looking at when you investigate any event whether it is catastrophic, whether it is big or small, is you need to look for the primary culprit. And the primary culprit for these fires is people. Human beings started these fires. And as it happens, as the human population increases, the potential ignition sources have also increased along with that rapidly. So when people say, oh, the fires are worse than they've ever been, you also need to take into account the fact that the population of Australia has increased fivefold over the last 5 million to 25 million. So just basic logic dictates that if you have more people, then you're going to have more fires caused by people because most wildfires have some sort of human element. It's not mostly lightning or something like that. Okay. So, and experts in New South Wales also know, okay, talking about causes here, what is it's not just what causes the fire, but what causes the fire to be so, uh, to burn so fast and with such intensities. Experts already know that the fuel load, that the amount of bush, the amount of veg- vegetation, that there was just a lot of it. There was so much of it. It was higher than normal. And that is what's causing the fire to burn hotter and faster than any, like I said, any firefighting technology can possibly keep up with. In 1974 to 1975, nearly 15% of Australia was burned up by fires. It was even worse than the fires that we're experiencing now. And it was an outlier as well, just like this 2019-2020 fire is. So we need to put these in context and you need to look at what are the primary causes, what are the secondary causes, and then maybe we can talk about exacerbating factors based off of science that is sketchy at best because it's based off of models and 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 then you can argue that but it seems like everything's been put backwards right it's let's blame climate change first and then maybe we'll get around to talking about how people started most of these fires how poor bush or forest management is responsible for the high fuel load because the vegetation was not thinned out as it should have been as natives to Australia have been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years in order in order to keep fires under control and to to keep the destruction down to a minimum and to keep them from burning too hot so let's not talk about the the human element let's not talk about poor forest management let's not talk about any of that stuff and if we do have to talk about it we'll kind of reverse the order First, we're going to put all of the emphasis on climate change and how that's responsible, and that's a huge deal. And we're not really going to put any emphasis whatsoever on the practices 
or the behaviors that are the direct causes of the destruction that we're seeing. And the media talks all the time about how we're supposed to be responsible with the environment. And the responsible thing to do is to adhere to everything that the, the uh, climate scientists are saying, what, every, what everybody at NASA is saying. And, and that's the responsible thing to do is we need to, to implicate things like cap and trade. We need to do all of the climate mitigation policies across the board, you know, like Green New Deal, all of that, you know, stop gas guzzling cars. They talk about being responsible for the environment, but then they're deliberately ignoring the primary and secondary causes of this destruction. Does that sound responsible to you? Does that sound reasonable to you? Does that sound like somebody who is really, really concerned about the future of Australia or the future of California? Or wherever else wildfires have been raging. You wonder why people are skeptical. You wonder why we're not too concerned when you, when you poll American people that we're not overly concerned about climate change. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's the fact that we read the news and we watch the news and we say, wait a minute, all of this is backwards. And... The problem here is, is, is not just that the mainstream media is losing the trust of the public. The problem here is that when you confuse the order of causation and the importance of certain factors, you're going to inevitably create per perverse policies. You're going to create policies that are not focused on attacking the biggest drivers of whatever it is you're trying to stop. Hey, if you're trying to stop devastation, then you need to have proper forest management. You need to do more controlled burns. You know, you got to you got to crack down on on human causes of wildfires. Like you got to crack down on people flicking cigarettes and and you got to enforce burn bans and and so on and so forth, okay? Like if your focus is on cap and trade and you're ignoring all of that other stuff, what do you think is going to happen? Cap-and-trade is not really going to do much of anything as far as the climate is concerned, except it's going to make things a lot more expensive. Those are my thoughts. Obviously, going forward, what you can expect to see is that koalas are going to be the new polar bears. Koalas are going to be the poster animal for the destruction and the havoc wreaked by climate change. You should expect like a lot more posters with koalas on them. And also that these regional events like what's happening on, in Australia is going to be just taken as a given that this is, this is indicative of a global trend. So those are my thoughts. Let's move on now to interview highlights from episode 43 with Charlie Evans of the Detransition Advocacy Network. Charlie's path to detransition was really fascinating, particularly for the fact that it didn't take very long. She said that it took like a month for her to completely change her mind on not just her own transition, but gender theory in general. I think it's worth looking at how that ball got rolling. And this is one of the first things she told me when I asked her, well, how did you change your mind? Yeah, so this, this friend of mine sort of said, reconsider your position on this and have a think on it and I've, I've known her for years I've followed her work for years she's a, a you know a prominent scientist and 
has a you know PhD more PhDs than I have socks and thought well she's not stupid she's not she's not like I thought she's not like religious right you know she's not I believe boys should be boys and girls should be girls she's she's a gender non-conforming bisexual woman left-leaning. Okay so one of the first things that you'll notice if you've uh, attended kindergarten is that she asked really nicely this this, this friend of hers as many PhDs as she has, she didn't seem to be particularly um, condescending about it. And she said, hey, I think you should reconsider your position on this. And then the second thing is, obviously, she did have PhDs. She was highly qualified to talk on the subject and very smart. And then thirdly, she had something in common with Charlie Evans. They're both members of the LGBT community. Charlie Evans is lesbian and her friend is bisexual and uh, quote-unquote gender nonconforming. So you've got commonality there, you've got courtesy, and you've got qualifications. And no, I did not plan that alliteration, but let's just go with that. Commonality, courtesy, (laughs) qualifications. Those are three very important ingredients if you are trying to persuade somebody, especially on a very sensitive subject. But anyway, she she also said um, she was, of course, uh, encouraged to, to scroll through this other woman's Twitter who is a um, quote-unquote turf, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And here's what she said about that. Uh, so from her, I literally went from her Twitter to a, a who's now a friend of mine's Twitter um, and started scrolling through her posts. Then I started reading, I don't know if you've heard of the philosopher Kathleen Stock, um, but I started reading some philosophical work about what, what is actually gender. Is there any such, such thing as gender identity? Does this exist? Is it the same as innate um, sexual orientation? Is it the same as being born gay or being born straight are you born a girl or a boy in your brain or is it just a sex and then I think within a month I changed my mind completely and realized I was wrong I messaged the original friend and said I was absolutely wrong in every way and yeah so within a month of her saying I think you should reconsider that tweet um I was uh protesting with the group that I'd called TERFs This raises an interesting question, because when I attended college, I always wondered to myself, I'm like, okay, I'm in college, and I'm being asked to read all this material by stuffy academics, and some of it is kind of dense, and some of it is hard to follow, and uh, and I always wondered, does this actually change anybody's mind outside of the university? Because we know that professors and the things that professors ask you to read do change minds within the university. Believe me, I know people uh, very close to me have come out of college with completely different opinions than when they walked into it. And I've changed my mind on, you know, a couple things here and there while in, in college as well. But it is very interesting to see, to hear from somebody who was profoundly impacted by philosophical writing. And when I took, I took one philosophy class in college. And I'll be honest with you, I absolutely hated it. I hated every minute of that class. I hated reading Aristotle. I hated reading like Francis Bacon. I hated reading, I, I, I hated all of it. I didn't follow it. 
I thought it was completely irrelevant to my life. But it, it does seem to me there's academic literature out there compelling enough for people to dive into and chew on and come away with a different opinion. And you don't see that a lot. But if you do manage to get somebody to read something on the academic level about a specific subject, making particular arguments, you might actually have a pretty good shot of getting them to change their mind. But getting people to actually read things is very, very difficult. Um, I've been trying to get people to read things for over half a decade now. And it's, it's hard, man. But I think it goes back to, it goes back to having commonality with the person who's trying to persuade you, that person being qualified to speak on the subject and, and, and asking in a nice way. Like, I know it seems pretty basic, but it also seems really important, especially if you're, if you're trying to get somebody to look into a subject on such a deep level instead of just like Googling things and skimming Wikipedia. One of the other things that stuck out to me about my interview with Charlie Evans was she told me that changing her mind on gender theory did more than just change her mind on whether there is such a thing as gender. I think, yeah, changing my mind on the trans stuff didn't just change my mind on that. It absolutely changed the whole way I see the world, everything. Um, I never thought I'd be anti-surrogacy or anti-porn, but I am anti-sex work. I was very pro-sex work when I was a liberal feminist. Um, It's just completely shifted how I see the world. And I've been thinking to myself, why is that? Why, Why gender? Why does that change the way how you see the world? And I think it has something to do with the fact that your biological sex is so intrinsic to your identity as a human being. I mean, as a human being, you're not just a human being. You're, you're a man or you're a woman. You're a boy or you are a girl. And it's such an integral part of creation, this binary, this biological binary that we live in. If you believe in such a thing as gender and that your, your gender can be different than your biological sex, that opens the world up to much more subjectivity. If you're focused on the question of what is a woman because that's up in the air now, are you going to be thinking so much about the actual female biological women that are being exploited in India via the surrogacy industry? Um, Are you going to be concerning yourself with female genital mutilation? It seems like once you put gender on the front burner and you're preoccupying yourself with a hundred different ways to identify yourself, literally, then matters of actual oppression or actual struggles that have to do with being female are not going to be at the front anymore, particularly because they are by nature exclusionary to trans-identifying individuals. But, but, once you disregard this idea of gender and you say girls are girls and boys are boys, then suddenly the struggles of females 
come back to the front in terms of priority. And then you, you see it more and more that, that transgenderism and uh, women's rights are, are not hand in hand. And in, in fact, they're, they're actually quite contradictory in that believing that men can be women is actually quite sexist. Of course, it's going to change the way you see the world. Because it's not just some policy matter like cap and trade or something like that, or universal health care. It's this has to do with who we are as human beings and how we interact with each other. It has to do with the fundamental structure of how of how society comes together, of how we even procreate and create the next generation and how families are structured like this is this is root level stuff if somebody if you get somebody to change their mind on gender you can expect a whole host of other things to change as well because it's that big of a deal and you might wonder why i talk about transgenderism on this podcast so much it's because of that it's what how you think about sexuality and your identity i mean if you change that you change everything you change all of society and so i will continue to talk about this stuff and i will continue to have guests on to discuss this subject because it's so much more than hey men want to use women's bathrooms it's so much more than that and i hope that that's coming across and i hope that the things that we've been talking about on this podcast has have been helpful to you in that regard. I do encourage you to go back and, and, and listen to episode 43 if you haven't already, especially the way that she details the way that she became transgender in the first place. I think that that's really important to discuss, and unfortunately I don't have time to discuss it here today, but she, she talks about the, the influences, her peer group, the things she was reading, the things that she was watching on YouTube, and I think all of that is really important to keep an eye on, especially if you're a parent um, or you have a, let's say you have a friend or a younger sibling or something who is maybe uh, trying to find themselves and is experimenting with this whole gender situation. And that is all I have for you today. We will be back on Tuesday with the flip phone. And the Woke of the Week, possibly talking about Nikki Tutorials, who is a very high-profile YouTuber who just came out as transgender. Nobody knew, apparently. We might talk about that. I'm still going back and forth on it. If you want me to talk about that, you can text me at um, 323-999-1802, or you can uh, message me, DM me, or tweet at me at 180 casts and please before you go do not forget to subscribe if you haven't already and thank you in advance if you do and if you like the 180 cast please consider giving it a review on apple podcasts because believe it or not it does help a lot in helping this podcast grow and gain more of a community where we can talk about how people change their minds and have open and honest discussions where we don't compromise on our beliefs, but we can listen to other people without yelling at each other. Imagine that. I do hope that you have a wonderful weekend and 
Until next time, seek the truth, share your values, and listen with your heart and your mind. God bless. Executive producer Kevin McCullough. Music by Ricky Crow. Who I am, what I need, who I've got to be.